This is the LexisNexis California Legal News Podcast. Litigation news stories from recent issues of LexisNexis Mealy Publications. Current and targeted legal news and litigation reports. In the largest settlement of its kind, the plaintiffs in a shareholder derivative action regarding Broadcom Corporation's stock option practices announced in late August they'd reached a preliminary settlement with the defendants for $118 million. Broadcom shareholders filed a consolidated class action in late 2006 in the Central District of California, alleging the company's officers and directors manipulated certain Broadcom stock options grants to benefit themselves and to artificially inflate the company's stock price. New Mexico State Investment Council was appointed by the court to serve as lead class plaintiff. After an announcement by various news agencies and financial analysts in May 2006, that a number of companies appeared to have granted stock options to employees and executives right before increases in the company's stock prices. Broadcom initiated a voluntary review of all options grants since its initial public offering in April 1998. As a result, it found a number of backdated stock options between April of 98 and May 2003 and recorded $2.2 billion in adjusted additional stock-based deferred compensation for the years from 1998 to 2005. The lead plaintiffs and settling defendants stayed in their joint motion for preliminary approval that the $118 million, which will be paid from insurers' reimbursements, will consist of $43.3 million Broadcom has already received from insurance companies and a settlement fund consisting of an additional $74.7 million. In a second trial on punitive damages, a California jury in late August awarded $13.8 million to the daughter of a deceased smoker who had sued the manufacturer of the cigarettes she smoked for 45 years. LexisNexis Mealy's Tobacco Litigation Report editor Jerry Maddox reports that the award, while significant, was only a fraction of the $28 billion in punitive damages a jury handed her after the original trial in 2002. Betty Bullock won a 2002 jury verdict against Philip Morris in Los Angeles County Superior Court based on claims that her small cell lung cancer was caused by 45 years of smoking Marlboro Red and Benson and Hedges cigarettes. Bullock was awarded a relatively modest $850,000 in economic and non-economic damages, but $28 billion in punitive damages. The trial court concluded that the punitive damages award was excessive and conditionally granted Philip Morris's new trial motion as to the excessive damages only, but Bullock mooted the order by accepting remittitor to $28.8 million in compensatory and punitive damages. A second district court of appeal panel majority affirmed, finding among other things that the reprehensibility of Philip Morris's conduct merited a high punitive damage ratio, despite the U.S. Supreme Court's holding in State Farm v. Campbell. After the U.S. Supreme Court remanded Philip Morris v. Williams for further consideration of an excessive punitive award based on defects in the jury instructions, the California Supreme Court remanded Bullock's case to the appellate court, noting similar jury instruction flaws. This time, the second district affirmed the liability findings, but ordered a new trial to determine appropriate punitive damages. Betty Bullock died during the appellate proceedings, and the new trial began in July with Bullock's daughter, Jody, substituted as the plaintiff. According to published reports, trial was held over 13 days in July and August, and the jury deliberated approximately four days before returning a 9-3 verdict in favor of Bullock. Although during closing arguments, Bullock's counsel asked for unspecified billions on her behalf, the jury fixed the punitive damages award at $13.8 million. 
one of the dissenting jurors told reporters outside the courtroom that the three dissenters favored awarding higher punitive damages. For LexisNexis Legal News, I'm Mealy's Tobacco Litigation Publication Editor, Jerry Mannix. A California appeals panel has affirmed that a $2 million punitive damages award to a man's family in an asbestos exposure lawsuit did not punish defendant company Foster Wheeler for conduct outside of California or for harm to anyone other than the plaintiffs. Richard Walmack's family claimed his malignant pleural mesothelioma was caused by exposure to asbestos while working on hundreds of U.S. Navy ships during his 37-year career as a machinist mainly as a civilian employee in Bremerton, Washington, but also in California during two years on active duty. A Los Angeles County Superior Court jury found in favor of the family, awarding them close to $3 million in economic and non-economic damages and $2 million in punitive damages. Among Foster Wheeler's arguments on appeal was that the punitive damages award cannot stand because the company cannot be punished for conduct that occurred outside of California. At a minimum, it argued, The trial court erred by denying its proposed jury instruction regarding limitations on the jury's ability to impose punitive damages on the company's out-of-state conduct. But the Second District California Court of Appeals said Foster Wheeler was not punished for nationwide policy that harmed individuals other than the Walmarts. Foster Wheeler was punished only for Walmarts' death and the losses incurred by his family as a result. For LexisNexis Legal News, I'm Mealy's Asbestos Report Editor, Brian Redding. Third District California Court of Appeal has ruled that the city of Sacramento may not be held vicariously liable for alleged sexual assaults committed by two of its firefighters in a city fire truck. A woman who alleged she was working as a photographer at the Porn Star Costume Ball sued the city of Sacramento, its fire department, and two firefighters, alleging she was photographing the two firefighters who had driven their trucks to the event. She said she wound up in the truck with the men, one of whom was on duty, and claimed the men sexually assaulted her. The woman alleged negligent hiring, supervision, and retention, sexual assault and battery, intentional and negligent infliction of emotional distress, and defamation. The fire department was ultimately dismissed as a party. The Sacramento County Superior Court entered judgment in favor of the city and ordered the woman to pay the city's costs. The Third District Court of Appeals affirmed, finding, quote, vicarious liability does not apply to the alleged sexual misconduct of the city's firefighters in this case. For starters, they had no coercive authority over the victim, nor did they purport to detain her for any firefighting investigation or even purport to be engaged in any duty of a firefighter. They simply invited her to take photographs of them in the fire truck. Their alleged non-consensual sex assault was motivated for strictly personal reasons not related to their duties and performance as firefighters. Indeed, one of them was off-duty. The sexual acts were not reasonably necessary to the firefighters' comfort, convenience, health, and welfare while at work. The acts were not precipitated by a work-related dispute over performance of their duties. End of quote. For LexisNexis Legal News, I'm Michael Lefkowitz. According to the Ninth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals, a Northern District of California judge interpreted an insurance policy's online activity exclusion too broadly and reversed the lower court's decision that class action lawsuits against two Internet providers alleging illegal online activities do not trigger a duty to defend. A number of actions were filed against America Online and wholly owned subsidiary Netscape Communications, seeking compensatory damages for their alleged interception of private electronic communications. 
The class actions claim Netscape and AOL eavesdropped on the online activities of the class members and violated the Electronic Communications Privacy Act and Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. AOL and Netscape turned the suits over to their insurers. The claims were denied. The circuit court panel found that the district court correctly found the claims against AOL were personal injury offenses and within the policy's coverage. The panel found, however, that the district court erred in how it interpreted the policy exclusion for providing Internet access to third parties. Because Internet access, the court said, is commonly equated with a working Internet connection, it said the district court interpreted this exclusion too broadly. The smart download utility at issue in this case does not provide an Internet connection and, in fact, is useless, the court said, without one. AOL, therefore, did not provide Internet access in making the smart download utility available. A federal judge in Los Angeles granting a motion for acquittal by an accused cyberbully has found the act of breaching a website's terms of service is not in itself sufficient to constitute intentionally accessing a computer without authorization in violation of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. Even though Central District of California Judge George H. Wu found defendant Laurie Drew's intentional breach of social networking site MySpace's terms of service could potentially constitute accessing the MySpace computer or server without authorization and or in excess of authorization, he ruled that a jury verdict finding Drew guilty of misdemeanor computer fraud and abuse act violations runs afoul of the void for vagueness doctrine. Judge Wu found no evidence that Drew had fair warning that her creation of a false MySpace profile to harass a minor, albeit in violation of the terms of service, would lead to criminal penalties. Drew was indicted by a Los Angeles grand jury in May 2008 for creating a MySpace profile for a fictitious 16-year-old boy named Josh Evans, which Drew then used to befriend and flirt with her 13-year-old neighbor, Megan Meyer. Eventually, Drew and her cohorts had Josh send messages saying hurtful things to Megan. Shortly thereafter, Megan committed suicide. After a seven-day trial in November, a jury cleared Drew of felony counts, but found her guilty of three misdemeanor counts of gaining unauthorized access to MySpace to gain information about Meyer. For LexisNexis Legal News, I'm Millie Cybertech Editor Mark Rogers. The Ninth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals held August 26. The government aired when it seized and reviewed computer records containing the drug testing records of hundreds of Major League Baseball players and other unrelated individuals that were commingled with the records for 10 players the government had a warrant to seize. In 2002, the federal government launched an investigation into the Bay Area Lab Cooperative, which was suspected of providing steroids to professional baseball players. During the investigation, federal authorities learned that 10 players tested had positive results. A government-obtained warrant limited the search to the records of the 10 players who tested positive, but when the government executed the warrant, it seized and reviewed the records for hundreds of Major League Baseball players and others. Property was ordered returned, except for the samples of the 10 identified players who tested positive. The en banc Ninth Circuit majority found the government erred in failing to comply with the procedures specified in one warrant that computer personnel conduct the initial review of the seized data and segregate materials not the object of the warrant for return to their owner. Instead, the government immediately used information on all professional baseball players to generate additional warrants and subpoenas to advance the investigation. To prevent such an error in the future, the court said a protocol for preventing agents involved in the investigation from examining or retaining any data other than that for which probable cause is shown should be included in the warrant application or added by the issuing judge. 
In addition, the government may not keep copies of the return data without judicial authorization to do so. Less than one week after prevailing at a jury trial on trademark infringement allegations, handbag manufacturer Louis Vuitton, on September 3rd, told the Northern District of California it should uphold a jury's award of $32.4 million. According to the plaintiff handbag manufacturer, arguments by defendants Aconox Solutions and Managed Solutions Group that the imposition of liability on their conduct would constitute an improper extraterritorial application of U.S. law must fail. Louis Vuitton says by hosting websites that sold counterfeit consumer products, the defendants violated the Lanham Act and Copyright Act. Louis Vuitton filed the lawsuit in 2007 after finding a group of websites with the same Internet address selling counterfeit Louis Vuitton merchandise. In late August, jurors rejected the defendants' argument that they were entitled to safe harbor immunity under the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. The defendants claimed prior to trial that the direct infringers, who were never fully identified, are operating in China and are Chinese citizens. Even so, Louis Vuitton says application of U.S. law to the defendant's own conduct is proper. For more information on these and other California cases, visit www.lexisnexus.com forward slash mealies, M-E-A-L-E-Y-S, or totallitigator.com. LexisNexis Legal News California is written by the editors of LexisNexis Mealy Publications, current and targeted legal news and litigation reports. The LexisNexis California Legal News Podcast, copyright 2009 by LexisNexis, a division of Reed Elsevier Incorporated. LexisNexis, total practice solutions. I'm Steve Bursler. Thank you for listening.